You know, sometimes I'm asked if I would ever consider doing stand-up, and quite frankly, I am offended. I'm a bona fide healthcare practitioner, and I am simply trying to get things to stand up here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. How are you? It is my absolute pleasure, as always, to come to you every Sunday night here to talk about sex. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, a blogger, a researcher, a clinician. I'll update you on that a little bit later on in the program and soon to be author. Once again, I'll update you later about that too. Tonight's music is literally from the voice of an angel, Eva Cassidy. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her, but all of the music tonight will be performed by her beautiful voice that quite honestly brings me to tears. So enjoy that, and I will tell you her story toward the end of the program. Also on the program tonight, I am honored to have Dr. Lori Brado, esteemed women's health researcher from Vancouver Coastal Health. She joins me to talk about the study of provoked vestibulodynia and the new treatments that she is working on to help women, and that affects 15% of women. Also, Michael Lissick joins me to discuss the new app called I've Been Violated, timely given that all eyes will be on courtrooms in Toronto this week with the Gian Gameshi trial, which gets underway tomorrow, as does the Mandy Gray trial against York University. The esteemed social media guru, Dave Teixeira, joins me later on as well to talk about sexting and social media etiquette. What does a person do when they find that they have crossed the line in terms of sexting messages that they send to other people. Dave's going to tell us all about that. So uh, thanks to Mike for uh, always for his technical production here on the show. Mike, great to have you again. Oh, thank you. Great thanks to be here. for helping out. Uh, if you have any questions for me at all, you can call me 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Uh, you may be thinking about how you want to improve your sex life. Fear not. I'm going to be covering that a little bit later on in the program. We try and save the subjects that are a little bit uh, more risque, shall I say, a little bit later. Because, you know, it's easy to fall into a, ro- into a routine, especially when it comes to foreplay or lack thereof. And foreplay is really important. But as it turns out, afterplay is important, too. So I'm going to give you a few sex games to concentrate on your journey, making that final act especially fun. So put the children to bed, please, uh, unless they are 35 or so and they are still living at home with you because they have to. Uh, because they can't afford to live here in Vancouver. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> because that's all there. Because <laughs> they live in their mother's basement. Anyway, um, but they can listen. And you might get them out of your basement. That might be a good thing for you. Anyway, we're going to get uh, a few serious subjects tonight because, as I said, I am a bona fide healthcare professional, and uh, I it is my mandate in life, uh, self-assigned perhaps, but uh, to raise awareness and educate women uh, and kind of bring out of the secret closet a lot of these issues that women experience, such as pain with attempted sexual intercourse or putting in a tampon or during a gynecological exam. And on the line to talk to me about that and you about that is Dr. Lori Brado of the University of British Columbia and Vancouver Hospital. Hello, Dr. Brado. Hello, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very good, thanks. Oh, good. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. 
Now, first of all, what is provoked vestibulodynia? Well, Maureen, I mean, as, as we know, and as you talk about very often on your show, most women can enjoy sexual activity and derive a lot of pleasure out of it. But imagine having excruciating pain every time you had vaginal penetration or sex. And as you mentioned, about 15% of women across ages, so this is not a condition that affects uh, just women in the menopausal and older years, years. This really affects women of all different ages. And it consists of excruciating pain right at the entrance of the vagina, and it persists, it can persist for a very long time. Um, and the reason it's called provoked vestibulodynia is because the pain is typically provoked or elicited with some kind of vaginal touch. So you mentioned whether it's sexual activity or with the use of a tampon or a gynecologic exam, could even be the seam on a pair of jeans. Um, and, but the woman doesn't have any pain at all when the area is not touched. So that's the condition, and, and as you mentioned, it affects uh, quite a, a large number of Canadian women. And how is this diagnosed? Well, it has to be diagnosed with a physical exam, um, and the reason for the physical exam is to rule out other common reasons for genital pain, such as a yeast infection, or there are a variety of different skin conditions that can elicit pain. Um, it, it, this could relate to some menopausal dryness, can also be very common for women as they're breastfeeding to experience some dryness. So essentially what happens is once most of those other causes are ruled out or excluded, um, the diagnosis is, is one of exclusion. So uh, this would make the diagnosis of, of PVD. Very often uh, what also could be very helpful in making the diagnosis is uh, the doctor performing the exam would take a moistened Q-tip or a cotton swab and lightly touch different areas around the vaginal opening. Um, and though, though that sort of touch would be extremely painful for the woman, yet that same touch in a different area of the vulva or on the leg or on the thigh would not be painful. So a physical exam is absolutely needed to make the diagnosis. And can this happen out of the blue for women for no apparent reason? You know, this is a place where, um, unfortunately, the, the science has really not been able to give us the answers that we need. What we do know is that there are, are a variety of um, risk factors or vulnerability factors that might increase a woman's chances of developing PVD. Um, but in most cases, it's really impossible to know for any individual woman what, what exactly was the cause for her. Typically, um, what happens is there's some kind of a, you know, a vulnerability, maybe chronic pain conditions run in her family, maybe she's had a history of very frequent yeast infections or other kind of vaginal trauma. Sometimes it may even consist of, you know, falling on the crossbar of, of a bike. Um, so, yeah, so there could be a background factor um, that makes women vulnerable. And then sometimes there is a, a triggering event, and whether it's some kind of, uh, you know, whether it's vigorous sexual activity, um, even periods of stress in some women can bring this condition on. And that's because we know that a period of stress actually changes those pain sensors um, in the woman's body and in the woman's brain. So there's probably a variety of different reasons why a woman might develop this condition. Absolutely. And you, it would be extremely frustrating frustrating 
for a woman to go to work, for example, especially if she had a desk job, because I imagine it would be difficult to sit down. So I would imagine, and I see this in women, they get quite anxious uh, as a result of it, but mm. can anxiety bring this on? And also, is it a bit of the chicken and the egg kind of a syndrome? Yeah, so, you know, the more recent science that's looked at what is the role of anxiety and stress and mood, for that matter, in this chronic pain condition. And we know when we look at other chronic pains that actually there is uh, evidence that, that shows that a period of, you know, a lot of stress, um, a lot of, you know, life changes, perhaps even some tra traumatic events, um, and even just kind of the, the daily mundane grind for some women, women who are prone to stress, that can be enough to kickstart a condition like this. And then, of course, as you mentioned, you know, if you, if you can imagine having this excruciating pain and the kind of distress that goes along with that, that can give rise to anxiety. So women can become anxious. They start to avoid sexual activity. Uh, for single women, they might even avoid dating or other social engagements that could potentially lead to, you know, meeting someone and therefore sexual activity. So, yeah, the, the anxiety can make a woman more vulnerable to developing this. And then, of course, once a woman has provoked vestibulodynia, um, anxiety and stress and, and mood changes are, are pretty common afterwards. Pretty much part of it. So you are recruiting for the comfort study, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. cognitive behavior therapy or mindfulness for treatment of provoked vestibulodynia study. So what is the purpose of that study? Yeah, so we're really excited about this study. It's funded by uh, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, and we're actually just coming into our last phase of the study. Um, we've been recruiting women over the past few years and um, we are randomizing women to one of two different effective psychological treatments. So one of the treatments involves cognitive behavioral therapy, and the other treatment involves mindfulness meditation. Both treatments have been used for quite a number of years in the treatment of chronic pain um, and uh, more recently have been used in the treatment of, of genital pain. And so one of the purposes of the study is to see which of these two treatments it works better for the reduction of pain and the improvement of sexual functioning. Um, and the other reason for the study is to look at, you know, who might be the women who would respond better to a cognitive behavior behavioral approach versus more of a mindfulness meditation approach so that in the future, women who might be consulting their doctors looking for treatment, a doctor would be better prepared to say, you know, based on your profile and based on who you are, we would predict that you would respond best to this particular treatment as opposed to another treatment. So we're hoping that that's one of the outcomes of this study. And this is a drug-free treatment, obviously. Yeah, there's uh, no medications at all. That's right. We're, and sometimes lidocaine has been used for some other way to, to numb that area, which uh, can cause more pain, mm -hmm. cause more trouble, and deaden um, nerves and make sex less satisfying. So... I think it's always great to go toward a conservative measure. So who can participate in the study, Dr. Brado? So we are looking for women who have been diagnosed with provoked vestibulodynia. And um, what they can do is probably the easiest way to get rooted into our study is through our lab website. And it's just brotolab.com. So B-R-O-T-T-O lab.com. And once 
uh, women are on the home page, they'll see very clearly a link that says studies. Um, and then they can watch a little YouTube video of our fabulous study coordinator, Adrian, discussing the study, and then they can click on a link to contact us directly through that. They do need to be referred by their doctor to the BC Centre for Sexual Medicine, um, but we can really expedite that process and women can get in um, pretty quickly once that referral form is sent in to us. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's the Comfort Study, and that's Dr. Lori Brado. It's a cognitive behavior therapy or mindfulness for treatment of provoked vestibulodynia. It's very informative. Thank you so much, Dr. Brado. And thanks to you, Maureen. Oh, you're very welcome. And, and you can also go to my website. I'll be putting that study on my website as well, backtothebedroom.ca. When I return, we're going to talk to the developer of an app called I've Been Violated. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. That's Eva Cassidy, and I could listen to her all night long, but I am back. I'm Maureen McGrath, your host of the Sunday Night Sex Show. Thanks for staying here with me, talking about sex. If you have any questions at all, you can call me, 604-280-9898, or star 9898 on yourself. You can always email me, sextalk at cknw.com. The show goes till 9 o'clock, so if you want to call me, call me before then, my friends. Uh... Did you know that studies have revealed that approximately 85% of sexual assault victims do not report their assault promptly to the appropriate authorities? When they later report, their credibility is often questioned. The authorities asking, why now? Has your story changed? Joining me on the line is the developer of the app, I've Been Violated, Michael Lisek. Hello, Michael. Are you there, Michael? Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine. I'm here. I'm here. That was that was a little crinkled, but I'm here. <laughs> Fabulous. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Thank you for having me. Now, you're on the East Coast. Is that right? That's correct. Thanks for staying up for me. <laughs> and thanks for developing this app. This is a fantastic tool uh, for women who... It is largely women who experience sexual assault, but men can experience sexual assault as well. So, well, it's ta- not, go ahead. It's not just for sexual assault, Maureen. No. It can also be used for domestic abuse or anything where the victim is not yet ready to tell her or his story to the authorities. It's fantastic. I, I, I see so many applications for this app, in fact. Children perhaps, who are being violated in one way or another or physically abused or, um, as you say, spouses um, of domestic violence or uh, victims of sexual assault or even workplace bullying. What do you think? That too. You could record your um, what's happening to you, videotape even what's happening to you perhaps, Um maybe as it gets a bit better, but you could record what is happening at the end of each day, for example, and lawyers love that when you have documentation. Yes, but it's important to remember that because the app is designed to protect people, yes, if you use the app and you tell your story, the video is only available to the appropriate authorities. That's right. And the appropriate authorities, would that be a lawyer? Your lawyer? No. Oh, it wouldn't be. So who would the appropriate authorities be? It would be the police. Okay. It would be the court system. 
All if right. you are a student and there's an ongoing sexual assault investigation, the university, it might be if there's a serial rapist problem going on, public health authorities. Mm-hmm. If it's domestic abuse, I assume it would be the family safety people. Okay. But it's not you and it's not your lawyer. Is it not evidence, though? Is it not to be used as evidence in a court of law down the road? It is a vi- it is available to be used as evidence, okay. but that requires you to decide that you want to make it available as evidence. Okay. That leads me to my next question, which I don't want to forget. Um, this is then encrypted. Once you've recorded it and it's, it's stored offline and available only to the authorities and not to the victim again, correct? Correct. And why is that? What's the reason for that? If it were available to the victim, there would be questions still raised about, has somebody tampered with the tape? Mm -hmm. How do we know what you've done with your story? And you don't want this to turn into a weapon either. Right. So you don't want people to be making recordings that they then use to extort people or embarrass people, etc. So by restricting availability just to the appropriate authorities, we are making it much safer for everyone. Okay. If somebody is assaulted or has tra- trauma occur or something, and then they get to a safe place, the app shows them, directs them on what to do, and they tell their story, and then 24 hours later, they think, I'm still traumatized, I forgot about this part, can they go back and add to it or create another video or record more? They, can, they could make another one. They can make another one. They've got no way to go back, but they could always record another one. Okay, but they can just go back to the app, I should say, and yes. and record another one. So the purpose of the app is to eliminate most of the credibility questions that occurs in domestic abuse, sexual assault, physical abuse, workplace bullying. We saw examples of this very prominently with all of the ladies that had issues with Bill Cosby. Is that right? Tell me about that, Michael. Well, Mr. Cosby uh, decided that he was going to attack their credibility. Why are you coming forward now? Why is the story happening 20 years later, et cetera? Right. Well, we see it all the time. why, Why did you have two drinks? Why did you wear such a short skirt? Why didn't you keep your knees together like the Alberta judge um, asking a a sexual assault victim? So that's quite common. Unfortunate, common, but very unfortunate every time it occurs. Absolutely. So have you, uh, how, this has been launched in the U.S. and and there's a pilot, there are pilot programs going on in a lot of the U.S. colleges and universities. So what are you finding? Are, are people using it? Is it being, what are the authorities saying about it? Is it helping with the reducing credibility question, questions and allowing victims to have some peace of mind, knowing that reporting to the authorities is fully within their control? Well, we're too early to answer most of that. We've only been out for a couple of weeks. Okay. And how many so, people have downloaded well, the app? Do you know? In the thousands, an exact number I don't know. Okay. Well, I know we have we have five or six hundred videos that have already been posted, but as I always tell people, I suspect almost all of them are people trying it as opposed to actual 
reports of something. Exactly. But there's no way to know until an authority, until we get a request from one of the authorities saying, can you get us this video? That's right. Okay. Well, that's great. Now, how can people get this uh, app, Michael? It is absolutely free in the Apple App Store. We will have an Android version soon, but for now it's Apple only. But if you go into the App Store and you look for I've Been Violated, it'll come right up. Fantastic. I do a lot of work around raising awareness and ending violence against women and violence against anybody. Uh, I'm totally against it, a peacekeeper at heart. So I really appreciate the work that you've done. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for being on the program, Michael. So download your app. Uh, You never know when you are going to need to record an incident an unsavory incident in your life. I'm Maureen McGrath. When I come back, Dave joins me. You've been listening to the C- you are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. Well, I don't know about you, but if you're on Twitter like I am, or Facebook, <laughs> or LinkedIn, you might be setting yourself up for trouble. If you're a public person as well, that can add just a little bit more danger. In fact, I often say I deserve danger pay with some of the things that have happened to me online. So far, fortunately, I've not had to file any claims against anybody, but I will if I have to. Uh, We've had some cases uh, recently, online cases, where people have been charged with online criminal harassment uh, after arguing with feminist activists, for example. And uh, some other public people have come forward to talk about their particular situation. So joining me on the line is Dave Teixeira of Dave.ca Communications. Hello, Dave. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Oh, good. Uh, so, Dave, have, I am not. I'm sure you probably know about this case, the Gregory Allen yep. Elliott case from 2012, charged with arguing with uh, what I didn't like this term, some rabid feminists on uh, Twitter. But um, it was thought to be precedent-setting. He was found not guilty, and it was found to be precedent-setting until, fortunately, lo and behold, Michelle Rempel, 35-year-old conservative MP, who had received online threats of rape and murder uh, when she was alone in a Winnipeg hotel room in the dark depths of winter, and a stream of these violent threats started filling her Twitter mention, that Twitter mentions, or her Twitter feed, that the messages were so vulgar, in fact, they were expunged from the internet, so dangerous that the conservative MP notified the police, eventually went to court, and her attacker, shall we say, online uh, attacker, was in fact found guilty. And so therein lies another precedent. So how dangerous is it for people? Like, Do people have to be careful with what they say online and what they send online? Absolutely. I mean, I talk about this in almost every interview or every talk I give is that whatever you put on the Internet is there for everyone to see forever. So even when you say those tweets were expunged from the Internet, Mm -hmm. they're actually not. You can actually find samples of those uh, in various corners of the Internet. And when people think they're talking privately, you're, you're not. There's so many ways for texts or sexts or videos or whatever that you think are being shared privately uh, to, to just go viral. But these two cases are very different. And and, and, and love to just get a little bit of the details. So in the first one, and I don't think it's a great uh, uh, tag, as you said as well, the, the, you know, the feminists versus uh, 
Mr. Elliot, but uh, that's unfortunately how the media has been classifying it. That's rabid feminist, they said, yeah, Dave. That's, sorry, rabid <laughs> feminist. I consider myself a feminine feminist, okay? <laughs> well, this case was interesting because the judge actually ruled that they both were giving it as much as they were taking it, essentially, that um, they were both being, both parties were being vulgar to each other to such a degree that they kind of canceled each other out. There was, in this case, there was no uh, overt threat being made, but there were certain some subtleties, uh, sort, of, sort of subtle, uh, you know, hey, I hope you're enjoying your dinner at such and such a restaurant. And the way this was all happening is everyone was, you know, when you post on Twitter, it's for everyone to see. So even when you block someone, it's so simple to get around it. So here's the, here's the, the simple thing. If you don't want someone seeing something online, Unfortunately, you just have to stop posting. Now, now, didn't the judge in that case, in the Elliott case, say that the women's safety was never in question? So That's right. Yeah, yeah. he basically was saying that, there, and this is what's so different from the, the Michelle Rempel case, and in this case with the Elliott case, there was, again, no overt threats made. There was no safety issues. This was basically a flame war, as they say, or an argument on Twitter gone really, really wrong. And it started really four bad. years ago in 2012 where, uh, you know, they just were disagreeing on a number of issues. Uh, Mr. Elliott got blocked by these women, but still was using hashtags that the women were seeing. These folks said, well, this is, constitutes harassment. Uh, he was arrested on trial, and he was found not guilty. And uh, to be honest, it is the right answer uh, in that particular case. Uh, again, uh, it, it might have been vulgar. It might have been unsavory. It may have been unpleasant, but I don't believe it was criminal. And, and yet still, it cost him his job, nearly $100,000, a tortuous court case. Uh, he yeah. suffered. He, he certainly did. And for, for, as far as the money amount, uh, he's actually, uh, on his behalf, have had a number of successful online campaigns have raised funds for him. But his reputational damage. Now, whenever he, uh, you know, you Google his name, the first things that will come up will be all about this case. So he's going to suffer. And that's, again, that's the law. The, the, the Internet doesn't forget. And this is the problem. So even when you're sending your private sexts or, or, your, or, or you're, you know, getting into a flame war, someone's going to see this, be it your employer, your loved one, your kids, worst of all, your mom. Uh, you, know, you cannot. I mean, so many people will say to me, you know, as I deal with a lot of people who are having extramarital affairs out there. And they'll say, they'll tell me that they have sexted nude photographs of themselves to the CEO of such and such. And I'm just like, don't do that. And they're, they are like, why? <laughs> wow. I, which I can't believe. You would, you would be amazed at how many people do that and that it's requested quite frequently. And because it's requested, they think they need to oblige, which was, I'm not sure the case, uh, the, the situation of the on-again, off-again boyfriend. I thought this was the most heinous thing that I had ever heard of in my entire life. I felt so badly for her. It was a young Ontarian girl. Um, she was headed to go to university, and her boyfriend had kept requesting. He had sent a video of himself, and he wanted her to send nude images and pornographic scenes right. in return. And she finally relented some several months later, and no sooner than did she hit send, the video was online on Pornhub. Dot com. I don't know if you're familiar with that case as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean, and horrific. Even if you're not familiar with that case, you hear the same story over and over again. Now, you know, some people might say that sending sex and these sort of uh, provocative photos are all part of kind of the flirtatious nature of courting or of, of a healthy relationship, and that might be the case. The problem is it's so easy to replicate these images and videos and to forward them. You really have to give your, you know, give a little bit of a pause for thought. 
are you comfortable with someone having this that should you stop being intimate with this person, can you trust that that person will not send them? And even if you, you say, well, it, it's, it's almost like nuclear war. He's not going to send the pictures of me because I'll send the pictures of him. But you somebody know, else can get their hands on the pictures and they can send them. It's, it's very, very yeah. simple. And, and this is, you know, a lot of kids are using Snapchat. That's and they right. They send these snaps and they say, well, they disappear after 10 seconds. And so many times I'm able to show them how it doesn't. Or they say, well, if, if, they, take a, if they take a picture of it uh, or they copy it, it's illegal. I'm trying to explain. No, just because you think it's illegal doesn't make it. And it's so simple right. to copy these things. Now, fast forward to the Michelle Rempel case. Oh, just was, one last thing about sure. that revenge porn. Yeah. Uh, it ca- and I just want to say there are consequences for this. And, and that boy, whose reputation is going to be ruined, he'll forever be tainted with that, he was um, found guilty and... Uh, was fined $100,000, you know, which is no yeah. small amount when you're uh, 22 years old or something. Uh, so, yes, uh, fast forward to Michelle Rempel. Yeah, in her case, and what was interesting with her case is it was been going on for a number of months, and no one even realized it was going on. She kept it very, very quiet. In this case, as you kind of laid it out at the beginning, is that uh, a, f- a number of months ago, uh, a gentleman, I guess I was using the term loosely, was very. tweeting to her some incredibly, not only vulgar, but criminal uh, threats of, her, uh, of violence, threats of rape, threats of all sorts of things, um, and she felt vulnerable because she was alone in a in, in a hotel room, um, uh, and and this was just you know deplorable behavior. So she did the right thing. She kept copies of these. She forwarded on to law enforcement, and law enforcement then uh, picked up this uh, incredible piece of work. And uh, now, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's certain aspects of it are making its way through the, the, the court system. But he basically has been sentenced to six months of house arrest, and uh, you know, which is pretty. It's nothing. No, it's really nothing. So it's... this guy's a forty-year-old Toronto guy. Um, and I think there's going to be more charges to come from what I've kind of read on a few other things. But the, the, the difference here is these threats were direct. They were directed specifically to her in a manner that, uh, you know, she felt threatened. She reported this, the police investigated, and away they go. So two different cases, but both have the same effects, is that you can't just use Twitter and then say, well, I was kidding, or uh, you know, or use social media and say, well, I didn't really mean it. I didn't have intent. But in the second case with Michelle Rempel, um, that guy uh, certainly, uh, the, the nature of what he was tweeting would put anyone in fear. And I know if I saw a friend, a loved one, on the receiving end of those tweets or mm-hmm. texts or anything, I would certainly want to step in and, and get law enforcement involved. And, you know, I'm glad she came forward, but I have to say, you know, it would have been nice to come forward sooner, perhaps. It's everybody's decision, and I'm not trying to judge her. But women need to know you can actually file these complaints. You can file a complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal. You can actually file charges if you're forcibly confined. You can file charges. It's a criminal offense. There are lawyers that deal with this type, these types of issues, and people need to have consequences. We need to feel stronger and more confident that we can stand up to this because, really, those people are so dark and so weak and, you know, they, they almost fall over quite rapidly once you call them on this type of, of thing. It's almost this false courage that they have. But but I really feel that women need to band together, stand together, understand and not judge women who are being abused. I've heard it many times. Oh, her husband abuses her. You know, like what's wrong with her is the kind of thing as opposed to any support. You know, they'll say, why does she stay? I mean, I really feel like especially this week, given all of the, um, you know, the need to speak out uh, 
this particular poignant week where those cases are, the Gian Gameshi case, and I realize everyone is innocent until proven guilty, right. um, but we really need to uh, end this culture of, of rape, really, and violence against women. And, and in part, it takes so much courage to go forward and call people on it. And you feel so much better in the end. If women knew that, they feel so much better. They can share their story with other women. They can empower other women to do this. And we're going to make our society that much better. I don't know if you heard about the It's uh, I've Been Violated app. Yeah, I actually listened to the segment just before I came on, and I had not heard about it. And I know I've made a note to look into it further because the whole it's, it's, there's so much on this this topic, but one of them is sometimes people just don't feel ready, as your guest was saying, to go to law enforcement. And you, there, but there is a need to keep sort of a record of what's going on. I th- and again, I'm going to look more into the app, and that might be one tool. But I think what is important is that it's not right to be harassed over over the internet. It's it's in fact illegal, and there's a lot of people out there who will help you out. And it sounds like Maureen, you're one of those people. But law enforcement are are, are getting a little more attuned to this sort of harassment, and they're taking it very seriously. Again, two different instances. The first one was two people trading barbs, you know, political barbs back and forth. In the Michelle Rempel case, there was incredibly vulgar messages to her health and safety. Absolutely. And it crosses any sort of line like that, then law enforcement must be, be contacted for your safety or those safety or for the safety of those around you. And she did feel unsafe, and I think that was yeah. a, um, a very important factor in those cases. Dave, as usual, always great to talk to you. can never talk to you enough. <laughs> well, I look forward to next time, then. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and thanks My for pleasure. weaying in on that. My pleasure. Have a good night. All right. You too. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I'm quite passionate about this subject, and I and I really think I know it's really hard to speak up, and it takes some time, and that's why I love that it, I've been violated app because uh, it provides you the time to document uh, or record it or videotape it, and when you are ready, you can go to the authorities, and believe me, you will feel a whole lot better once you've gone through that process. I speak from experience. I am Maureen McGrath. When I come back, we're going to lighten this baby up, and I'll tell you about some sex games. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. You might remember that Sting sang that song, but Eva Cassidy has given it far more light in life than I could ever imagine. I was actually trying to teach myself that song on the guitar this afternoon, and uh, I couldn't get through the song. I was it, I was overwhelmed by it. It's so beautiful, um, and I just would start crying about halfway through. So anyway, I think maybe it was the sound of the guitar that was making me cry. No, it was actually uh, just the words and just her voice is just so amazing. So I'm going to tell you about her story. She unfortunately um, passed away in 1996 and uh, it was never her fame was never realized until posthumously uh, when she used to play in the clubs around Washington, D.C., and she would play jazz and blues and rock and gospel. And uh, many times record companies tried to sign her, and they'd say, but you've got to choose one genre. And she'd say, well, I, I love them all. And uh, she never chose one, and she was painfully shy, apparently. And this also prevented her from uh, signing, got in the way of her signing with a record company. And, uh, I mean, she would bring many, many uh, people to tears when she sang Over the Rainbow and Songbird and um, 
Fields of Gold, many, many other uh, tunes. She sang with Sting at one point. She sung with a, a number of, um, of artists. But uh, she'd made a couple of CDs, and she died of cancer at the age of 33 in 1996. And a couple of years later, I think in around 2000, somebody found her CD and sent it off to a radio broadcaster in England. And uh, it was the Over the Rainbow that was played and it received millions and millions of hits, and and it became the number one song in England at the time. And uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the music, and I just fell in love with it, and so I hopefully you have enjoyed it as well. She was described as a Mother Earth type, a bit of an angel, certainly the voice of an angel, and uh, her music lives on, and I just kind of imagine her just being so happy that her music has lived on 20 years later and is uh, gracing our planet. So uh, check her out, Eva Cassidy, on YouTube, and uh, enjoy the music. And uh, I'm sorry for the tears, if it brings you to tears. Anyway, it certainly brought me to tears, but I'm a passionate person, you know, and uh, everything strikes me. (laughs) I'm passionate about everything. And I'm passionate about your sex life, too, which is, I said earlier that I... uh, I'm nearly an author. For about the past year and a half, I've been writing a book, and it's it's actually finally finished. Uh, off to the editors in the morning for the final edits, and um, so I've been working on it all weekend as well. Just you know, when you got a little of the OCD, you uh, it's never quite good enough. So <laughs> I've uh, worked on it every single minute, but I completely forgot to tell. Oh, I'm very close to. I forgot to tell my parents that I was writing a book. God knows why. And so I told them today, and they said, oh, we had no idea. Do we get a copy? And I said, uh, you want one? <laughs> they said, of course we do. We're so proud of you. And I said, well, you know, it might be X-rated. And uh, they said, that's okay, with a little trepidation. And then I said, well, maybe I'll redact the uh, X-rated information. <laughs> so I might have an R copy and, uh, and an X copy. Anyway, you never know. Hopefully, God willing, that will be out in May. So uh, just another way to, just a, just another resource, really, for my patients who, um, you know, I often say, listen to the Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm going to be talking about this on the air if they present with a particular problem. Speaking of my clinical practice, uh, for the past three years or so, I've been at Crossroads Clinic over at Canby and West Broadway. I am no longer there. Not to worry, I'll be finding another spot in Vancouver for all of my patients. So if you are one of my patients tonight and you are listening to this, uh, you can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, or you can call the clinic and they will give you my information. I am, of course, still in North Vancouver um, where I practice as well. So I've got a couple of other projects coming up. You will be learning about those as well. Next week I am at the Vancouver, um, the Taboo, Sex show, the naughty but nice sex show. Do you know anyone like that? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I think I'm naughty but nice. Anyhow, um, I haven't even gotten to the naughty games for you yet, and we have to go to break. So when I come back, we're going to go and talk about those. Okay, I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I can never get enough of her music, her voice voice of an angel. I'm Maureen McGrath, and I promised you a few sex games. So the first one, Beach Blanket Bingo. (laughs) 
Just get some beach blankets. You can put them on your floor, your kitchen island, your bed, wherever. It's your home. You are the king and the queen of your castle, I hope. And uh, then you want to get some oil, and you want to slather it all over each of you. Leave no bit dry. (laughs) Oil everywhere, both of you. And then slip and slide. And, you know, it's actually quite sensuous, and it's quite arousing to... Uh, make love while both of you are all oiled up, shall we say. Egg timer is the next one. You need a clock or an egg timer. So you want to pick a time interval, say 20 minutes. You can go with anything as long as it's a change from the norm. For whatever interval you choose, tease each other with kissing, which is like a bygone uh, thing of the past, touching, and other forms of foreplay. But no matter what, absolutely do not allow penetration until that much time has elapsed. That is certainly arousing. You know, most busy couples today have foreplay down to a science and a bare minimal, minimum as well. So this egg timer refocuses you on the pregame show, the part that used to be so much fun. Before you got married, had the kids, got the mortgage, whatever. And you'll be surprised by how much slowing down changes things. You get really creative. You get really hot. It's really arousing. So may I suggest that. Of course, the blind man in the buff is always fun. All you need is a scarf or a necktie or a blindfold. You can blindfold one or the other, lead them to the bed or another locale if you like. Proceed to ravish that person slowly, recklessly, teasingly, however you feel like doing it. You know what? You get to call the shots here. So let your partner's arousal be your guide. Not being able to see during sex has two major effects because it dramatically increases both sensitivity and psychological vulnerability. And vulnerability is important in satisfying sex. Either one is a great aphrodisiac and both can create a beautiful love explosion. That's my threesome for you for tonight. Don't forget, come and see me next week at the Taboo Naughty But Nice Sex Show. You can email me at sextalk at cknw.com if you want some free tickets to that. I'm going to be talking about sex talk and some other dirty little games you might want to play with your lover. Uh, So I'm giving a talk on Friday afternoon at about 6.15 and then Saturday late, 10.15 at night and Sunday around 6 o'clock in the afternoon as well. Uh, The following week after that, I'll be at the wellness show which is at the convention center both of these are at the convention center anyway you can go online and check those out i've got lots of talks to do this year as well so uh certainly come on out and uh, have a chat with me you can uh talk to me anytime you like and uh i'll teach you how to talk dirty uh <laughs> it's all educational it's scientific and don't forget i am a bona fide healthcare professional if you don't believe me you can go to my website back to the bedroom.ca you can follow me on twitter at back the number two the bedroom remember be nice and uh when you stumble on this gravel road of life make it part of your dance i am maureen mcgrath you've been listening to the cknw sunny night sex show and it has been my absolute pleasure to be here with you tonight and thank you for staying up with me.